Well, hello and welcome. Uh, we are running just a minute or two late here today. So uh, if you have been waiting, uh, I apologize about the wait. Uh, my name is Guy Stevens. I'm the founder and executive director of the Alliance Against Seclusion and Restraint. Really excited to have you uh, here with us today. Uh, if you're not aware of who the Alliance Against Seclusion and Restraint is, let me tell you a little bit about us. Uh, if you are, uh, thank you for coming back and hopefully you've joined other live events that we've done. Uh, please take a minute in the chat to tell me uh, who you are and where you're from. Uh, a little bit about the Alliance. I started the Alliance over three years ago, and the idea behind starting the Alliance uh, was unfortunately our family had an experience with the use of restraint seclusion. Uh, and that experience led me to doing a lot of research, and that research led me to realizing that there are a tremendous number of things happening to kids very often in the name of behavior that are very damaging, things like restraint, seclusion, suspension, and expulsion, uh, even corporal punishment. We still have 19 states in the United States that allow the use of corporal punishment. Uh, so I began the Alliance really with a mission of uh, one, trying to end practices like restraint and seclusion, but also trying to uh, move in better directions. How can we better support kids and families? How can we better support teachers and staff? Uh, what can we do to make our schools safer for everyone that's involved? So uh, that's a little bit about the Alliance. I see a number of people have jumped on already. And again, please in the chat, tell me who you are and where you're from. Uh, really excited today to have a guest with us, Diane Cooper-Gould. Uh, Diane, oh gosh, I'm trying to think of how long I've known Diane now. Diane is joining us to talk a bit about uh, parent advocacy and about special education PTAs. Uh, you're going to have an opportunity through the interview to ask questions if you have them. Uh, so feel free to put those in the chat and I'll kind of keep an eye on those as they go. Uh, so we'll be able to address some of your questions. Uh, one of the questions we commonly get at the beginning is, are these sessions being recorded? The answer is yes. Uh, we record these sessions uh, and they are available after the fact on Facebook, on YouTube, and as an audio podcast. So if you just want to listen to it while you're doing other things, you can do that as well. So with all of that, uh, let me go ahead and jump into our guest today. Uh, and I want to uh, welcome today Diane Cooper-Gould. And let me tell you a little bit about Diane. Uh, Diane is a dyslexic mother of two neurodivergent children and a lifelong advocate for those in need. Uh, Diane has a passion for supporting individuals with disabilities and their families. Uh, she believes that it's critical that all people are empowered to reach their full potential. Uh, Diane's disability advocacy began in 2013 when she founded an online support group uh, for caregivers and people with disabilities. Um, what kind of began as a small group of 12 individuals has since grown uh, to over 250 members across the United States and Europe. Um, and soon Diane began to realize that uh, even though specific circumstances of families might be different, that we all face very similar challenges and navigating the special education in, uh, system and disability services can be really difficult. So in 2015, Diane and another uh, Fairfax County, Virginia parent uh, decided to join forces and start an organization that could advocate for systemic change and improvements uh, for students with disabilities and their families in her community. Uh, this labor of love became eventually the Fairfax County Special Education PTA, uh, which launched in 2017. Uh, and Diane's been uh, part of that and part of the board of the Fairfax County SEPTA since it began, uh, served initially two years as the uh, president and currently serves as the advocacy chair. Uh, additionally, Diane's uh, created and co-created and taught numerous courses uh, related to special education advocacy. And of course, you are an advocate as well, not only for your own child, but you, you do advocacy work. Uh, Diane, um, as I was reading your, um, your uh, background, 
Uh, you know, I even was delighted to see that you're actually a COPA trained advocate. Uh, that yeah. COPA training is absolutely fantastic. But uh, let, let me start before I get carried away in talking and just say, Diane, welcome. It's really a pleasure to have you here today. Oh, thank you so much, Guy. I'm really excited to be here. So um, I so admire the work that you've done and we've gotten the chance to work closely together on restraint and seclusion. So that's been really wonderful. Absolutely. You, you know, I was trying to think about before we started today, how long I've known you and, and it's got to be at least two years and, and maybe yeah. two and a half. Uh, I think we connected fairly early um, in the work that I was doing in the Alliance because of that mm -hmm. uh, common um, kind of interest related to restraint and seclusion right. um, and became aware of the work that, that you were doing and, and the group that you were running as well. Um, and it's it's been fantastic to, um, you know, uh, be able to to work with you and and others that are really you know doing a lot of great work. Um, one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on today um, is you know like a lot of us you know our advoc advocacy starts with our own child, mm -hmm. uh, and then we realize wow this is really difficult and and this is really challenging, and, and then we begin to kind of connect with others and realize right how difficult it all called it is for all of us and and the challenges that we're going through, and unfortunately. Uh, the more you learn, the more you realize that sometimes the system is is not the best. Uh, sometimes parents <laughs> are being misled and not given appropriate yeah. information. So you, of course, then then took that to the next step in in you know beginning to advocate for others. Um, the the special education PTA, which I really wanted to focus on in part today, uh, is really interesting to me because I often have had parents reach out saying, you know, how do we impact change? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. and I'm a big believer that. You know, there's a number of things that are helpful to impacting change. One is doing your research and understanding what it is you're trying to change. But right. of course, another is finding allies, finding people, yeah. you know, that might be going through similar things and, and might have, um, you know, might be willing to come together. Um, and, and that's really one of the things that I think is really interesting about what you've done there. So if we can start real basic. Yeah. Um, what is a SEPTA? <laughs> okay. So it is not the Southeastern Pennsylvania Transit Association, which is what some people think it is if you're Pennsylvanian. That's not, that is a SEPTA, but it's not our SEPTA. So we are a special education PTA and we are different from a typical PTA. When most people think of PTAs, they think of um, that school-based PTA that uh, does fundraising and does field trips and buys equipment for the playground and things like that. So that's not exactly what we do. Um, we instead are primarily an advocacy organization that represents the needs of all of the students and staff that work with them in uh, Fairfax County public schools that have to do with um, IEPs or 504 plans. So even though it says special education, we also include 504s on that. Mm -hmm. And so um, the way I actually started this was in 2015, uh, I have two kids in elementary school, both had IEPs. And so um, what I found is in the typical PTA, right, a, a lot of times special education parents are really isolated. And our kids are not always included in the events that are happening in school or can't always uh, find access to them. They're not accessible for our students. So uh, just like any organization, the, the loudest voices get the most attention and the largest numbers, right? So in any individual school PTA, um, special education students are going to be the minority, typically somewhere between 12 and 14%. And so at that point, you're never going to have a critical mass and the voice is never going to be strong enough to really get what you need pushed through easily. 
So I started uh, by forming a um, special education committee, which actually every PTA should have. So if you had a, a school-based PTA and you don't have a special education committee, go to your PTA leadership and say, hey, we need a special ed committee and then be willing to volunteer for it <laughs> if you can. Although it's really hard to volunteer, I understand when, you, when you're when you juggling uh, not just having kids, but special education kids, because there's a whole bunch of paperwork and other things involved. But anyway, um, then I realized, you know, what I really wanted to do was affect systemic change, um, because as Guy has already mentioned, uh, there are so many, so many things. Uh, it's a complicated process. It's not typically done the same way in every school. So in one school, you might get a service and in another school, they might say, oh, well, we don't do that. Um, there's a lot of ignorance, I guess, for lack of a better term, of what the actual policies are, the state regulations are, the national regulations are. And that can even be on the part of staff, because truly, when staff is being trained, when teachers are being trained and special education teachers are being trained, they don't always spend a lot of time uh, learning the policy procedures, the legal requirements. So um, there's just a lot of confusion all the way around. And yeah, yeah, I mean, isn't, isn't that kind of surprising? I mean, I remember at one point a few years ago taking, um, you know, kind of an, an advocacy training program in, in Maryland. It was through the uh, the parent center, the, the parent yeah. training center. Uh, it was a program called Leaders. And in that program, we learned all about special education law. We learned all about yeah. IDEA, uh, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. We learned all about kind of the process. And I remember completing that and, and really getting a lot out of that. And I know that you've been involved in teaching with Virginia, uh, you know, uh, parent uh, education programs as well. But what surprised me, uh, I asked the question about, you know, well, do, do teachers and staff that are in IP meetings go through similar training? And the answer was no. no. Uh, and that really surprised me. And, you know, it, it helped a lot of things fall into place for me because I often found in my journey, you know, my, my personal journey in, in, at first, um, that oftentimes I was being told things that simply weren't true or mm -hmm. consistent with federal or state law. Um, you know, and, and again, you know, uh, not to be critical of, of the educators that are taking part in that process, but, um, you know, if they're not getting appropriate training, it's really hard to stay within the lines of the process, right? That's right. That's right. And yeah. often what happens is you'll have some, there's, there's probably someone in the system somewhere, right? Who has some sort of training, mm -hmm. whether that be through their administration or, or, or whatever it is, but then things can trickle down into actual school buildings and people can think something's a rule when it's really just, this is the way we've always done it or, or whatever. And uh, again, you know, for me, I always take advocacy. I try to, to start from a place of positivity and like assuming, the, you know, assuming good intent, right? Mm -hmm. Often we hear things, it's not because people necessarily want to harm us or our kids. They might just not know. Right. And right. so one of the big things I wanted to do is help teach. I, I'm gonna backtrack a minute. The most I learned in any aspect of special education or disability or, or anything advocating for children, I learned from other parents. Mm -hmm. uh, I found, um, specialists were great, but they didn't always live with it. They, they had studied it in school, but they didn't actually live the experience. And it was often parents who either helped me navigate the system, understood the emotional piece of what I was going through and my kids were going through, or um, really had lived experience that was helpful in, to my lived experience. It wasn't just refer me to a specialist and the specialist has a theory, but they've never actually lived it. So I really wanted to focus on empowering other parents and caregivers and um, 
to me, I look at it very holistically. I don't think you can look at just education. You have to look at how uh, you have to look at a full life. You have to look at the education, the medical, the social, and all of that together. And so I wanted to really wanted to, to examine it from that piece and advocate from that holistic perspective. Um, so that's how this sort of the idea percolated. And uh, as Guy said, I started as um, in 2013 with just starting a, a support group online because I was like, I'm sinking and I need help and other people need help. And, you know, I think most of us have the experience of sitting in um, therapists, you know, waiting rooms while our kids are getting some kind of therapy and then sort of, you know, looking at the other parents and maybe starting a conversation. And, and I thought, well, gosh, can't we just find some way to do that at our convenience and repeatedly? Um, and then from that, that's when I really started hearing the same com same concerns over and over and over. My kid, I can't get my kid found eligible, but they're falling apart. I can't get, you know, this, but that. How do I navigate it? How do I afford it? So I wanted to um, really find a way to um, get the community together because the larger our voice is, the more impact we have. And I figured to do that would be to get as many parents as possible in my geographic area to speak up together to the same ends, right? Um, so at that point, we are not the first SEPTA. Um, I ended up talking to a parent, I think, who was actually in the support group that I was running about uh, she had been involved in, in advocacy, and she was one of the founding members of Arlington County in Virginia's special education PTA, which was one of the first special education PTAs in the country, I believe. Mm -hmm. And they had been around for seven years at that point wow. and had managed to do some really good uh, advocacy within Arlington County. And I just sort of was picking her brain because at that point I didn't know what format I wanted my advocacy to take. And she said, well, I've done this SEPTA thing and this is why I like it. And we can sort of walk you through the paces of how we did it. And she said, and you know, it's interesting. I heard from another parent recently in Fairfax who also wants to do something. Mm. And that's how I was hooked up in the December of 2015 with um, my co-founder partner, uh, Kathy, who she had actually had kids who were already out of the system. So her kids had graduated and mm -hmm. she was ready to go back and fix it for other parents. So uh, bless her. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I'm so thankful for, for anyone like that because I think yeah. that um, it's really important uh, and, and it's difficult because sometimes when we get through these these traumatic and, and really bad experiences, we want them in our rear view mirror. We don't want to look back. But right. uh, the truth is that if, if we don't stand up for others, change never happens, right? That's right. So, you know, my, my son, I started all of this because of what happened with him regarding restraint seclusion. Uh, he's in a great place right now. He's a junior in high school. Uh, he's driving. He's going to graduate. He's talking about college. He's a great kid. But, you know, if, if, I just kind of left it there and didn't do anything else, then there'd be a lot of kids that wouldn't have somebody advocating for them. And I think it's so important that, um, you know, when, when we've gone through things that if we can, if we still have the bandwidth and the ability to advocate for others, it can make such a big difference. So, so I, I appreciate that, you know, your, your partner in crime was willing to, to do that. It's such a critical yeah, she thing. Was. And, you know, we were kind of a, a really good pair um, because she was definitely somebody who liked to do behind the scenes much more comfortable, like filling out the paperwork and doing that kind of thing. And I was very comfortable being, you know, in front of the camera at that point, it was in person and talking to people. So we were, we were a good pair. And what we decided on ultimately from talking with different people. Um, and I actually have, 
have given a class on how to build a community of support and how to build different kinds of organizations. So you could decide, so for those of you who are interested in doing advocacy in your communities, you could decide that the the PTA structure is great and what's going to work for you and that the SEPTA is the right move. You might decide that that's not the right move, but there's other options to get community, uh, to do community advocacy. So um, I'll talk specifically about SEPTA in, right now, but I'll kind of try to broaden that as well in case that's not, that structure doesn't necessarily speak mm -hmm. to you individually because mm -hmm. it's important to do advocacy, like, you know, Guy, you you started Alliance Against Seclusion and Restraint. That's obviously not a PTA, but right. it is a very effective grassroots organiza organization to um, uh, activate through. So, mm -hmm. so, so yeah. if I can, um, just, just kind of thinking about, you know, we've talked about what a SEPTA is. So it's a special education PTA. Right. Um, and, and you've talked a little bit, but, but let me draw you back to this for a second. Sure. And, and can you talk about, so, for, so first of all, let me ask you a question. Then, then, then let, me, let me ask you a broader question. Yeah. Uh, how many SEPTAs are there now across the country? Oh gosh. Um, I don't actually know. Uh, and they're, they are an interesting challenge because PTAs, I don't want to burden you with like the PTA structure system, right. but the way PTAs, right. individual PTAs function is you get your dues, your membership dues from parents and teachers paying in mm -hmm. and community mm -hmm. members paying into that school. Well, because we are a SEPTA, we don't have one school. We represent everybody, but that also means that we can't easily market to people and we don't have a basically a captured audience, right? Because um, we serve everyone, but we don't have a um, base, a base so of operations. You're, you're not serving a specific school. Mm -hmm. You're serving, in this case, the county, the county. really. Yeah. Okay, okay. So we serve okay. the county. Okay. And, okay. and so the way we had to do it was really online. Okay. okay. And through word of mouth. So but, but 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 likely we're not yeah. in, we're not talking, you know, just just the original few in the country. We're probably talking about quite a few across the country now, would you say? Well, it's it's an interesting thing because they kind of pop up and then they can fade out. And PTA mm -hmm. in general is sort of in a place of flux mm -hmm. and but I think in Virginia at one point we had four or five going. Okay. Um, okay. there was one in Stafford County right. that has since folded. Yeah. Prince William it County has started. Right. It, um, it can be really difficult with any organization yeah. uh, or especially, in, uh, you know, kind of an effort like this, uh, because you might have founders. And as the founders, you know, uh, move on or are doing other things, sometimes the groups then fade out or, or founders kind of get um, I, and this sounds like a really terrible thing to say, but kind of stuck in the role because yeah. no one else is people are glad it's there, but no one else necessarily wants to jump in and, and take the ownership. Yes. Um, but it's important. It's important for people to do that. And I would say a great opportunity for yes. people to think about, you know, forming these kinds of groups. So let me let me ask you kind of specifically, and you talked mm -hmm. a little bit about this, you know, as we've talked already, but, you know, if you had to explain to somebody, you know, um, kind of some of the major points, like what is it that a SEPTA typically might do? So what are okay. the kinds of things that a SEPTA might do? What are the kinds of activities, you know, uh, et cetera? Can, can you kind of give us an overview of this is the kind of thing you might see happening in a SEPTA? Or these are the kinds Absolutely. of things we do so in our SEPTA. Absolutely. So, and I'm happy to, we've set it up so I can screen share and show you our website as well. But before we do that, I'll sort of, I think of things in buckets typically. So mm -hmm. um, I think of uh, parent education and support as one bucket. Okay. So we, okay. we work with families, we work with parents, we support them, we educate them. And then we have uh, staff advocacy. And I think of that slightly differently because um, 
the way our special education system is set up, it feels very much an us versus them. The school staff is here. Mm -hmm. We're here. We're fighting to come to an right. agreement to help the kid. I don't think that benefits any child. Mm -hmm. So if we can work together and we can kind of remember that this is about the child and not about the one side of adults versus the other side of adults, the better outcomes are there. So I really, really wanted to partner with school staff. And the, the interesting thing is that the teachers on the ground, right? If, if we don't lift them up, they won't have the energy, the resources, the knowledge to work with our kids. And we're entrusting our kids to them for six, seven hours a day. Mm -hmm. So um, their job is really hard. It's yeah, hard for totally. us at home. And then they have 30 of them or eight of them or six of them or whatever it is, but they've got mm -hmm. a lot more, right? Mm -hmm. So there's that teacher, that teacher piece. And that, that looks like a lot of different things. Um, and then on top of that, then we have what I call systemic advocacy. And so mm -hmm. it's not just about support and education. It's about how do we take the policies or the way things are happening right now in our county and make it better? And so that's when you get into policy changes, like how restraints, like changing the restraint and seclusion policy, which we were very involved in in Fairfax County, <laughs> like changing the discipline policies, the student rights and responsibilities. So for several years, we've been very involved with that revision process with uh, adjusting the at one point I participated in the, um, there's a memorandum of understanding between the Fairfax County Public Schools and the police department, Fairfax Police Department, and how discipline cases were being dealt with. And I participated in a panel and we really emphasized, look, kids with IEPs, there's a different situation. Parents need to be notified. Kids need to have advocates before they're interviewed by police. There needs to be an understanding that there might not be developmental or cognitive understanding of a process. So you know, in that way, that's the, that systemic advocacy, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I really look at it in those different buckets. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. for me, the the big, big passion I have is changing the system to make it better. I mean, I just, mm -hmm. that's where my heart is. Um, right. Because, you know, you can have that direct effect in, in multiple children's lives, right? Right, right. So um, those are the buckets that I think of it in. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. then the other piece of it okay. is... Um, we also do what we call reward uh, awards and grants. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. um, that is something that is such a useful tool, right? So it is a purely positive thing that the PTA can do to support staff and the community. And it's feel good. And I think we tend to, in advocacy, underestimate how important it is to feel mm -hmm. good mm -hmm. <laughs> and to recognize the good things that are happening. But we spend like 90% of our time talking about the bad things. Mm -hmm. We have to highlight the good things. And I think that that also helps really build relationships in the community. So I, I really encourage people to think about that when they're doing advocacy. Mm -hmm. So we do a big awards program every year. Um, the first year, I think we had about 100 people there, 150 people. By the second year, it had grown to 300 people. And then we had to do it virtually because of COVID. But then we mm -hmm. had it back in person this year for the first time. Oh, that's great. Um, all masked. And I think we had about 160 people there this year. So oh, um, now, yeah. now you are, of course, from a fairly large, um, very large well, well, school district wise, Fairfax County Public Schools is one of the largest school districts in the, the, the yeah. nation. Yeah. Um, do you, from your own experience, think, I mean, how do these things scale downwards? I mean, how do they scale if you're talking about a smaller system? Uh, I mean, I know in yeah. my community, um, it sometimes is hard. I mean, you know, as you mentioned, the 
the job of a parent is difficult to begin with. Uh, if you have children with special education needs, your job is probably even more challenging uh, and bandwidth can be limited. So, um, you know, how how did you go about recruiting and, and what tips would you have for other people out there that maybe they're in a smaller community? Mm-hmm. Um, what are your feelings on that? So I have a lot of feelings on that. Um, there, having a lot of people in your in your system is both good and bad. It can take an extremely long time to make change. When I first started advocating in our county, I was told on average, it takes 12 years to make a policy change. Mm. We've been around for five years and we've yeah. made a lot of policy change. Right, and I'm right. really proud of that. <laughs> really proud yeah. of that. No, um, no, knowing, knowing you a bit, I, I don't imagine <laughs> that you would react well to that that 12 no. year. Uh, I'm very impatient. Uh, so, uh, um, But it's taken a ton of work. And, and to that point about it's difficult, particularly for our community. Yes. And I love the um, if you're if your listeners are, are familiar with the, the choral analogy, we're a chorus. And when you have parents within special education, and especially if you're in leadership, so you're starting an advocacy organization, you have to understand that your group of volunteers is not like the typical group of volunteers. First of all, in a lot of ways, they're even more dedicated and passionate because they're living it and they really want to see change. That is wonderful. And lives are extremely complicated and people are going to have to drop out from time to time. (laughs) So when you have a chorus of voices, if one person has to drop out to take a breath, that's fine because you've got a chorus of voices holding up the organization. And if someone else, and then once you've got your breath, you come back and somebody else drops out. So there has to be an understanding of that. And there has to be um, a willingness to say, you know what, we are going to keep working hard. And if some, if a ball gets dropped, a ball gets dropped, moving on, we'll pick it back up. And I think that's true of all life, but I think particularly for us, it's even more true. Yeah. You know, I, I, you know, one of the the principles I think is really important, uh, not just in our schools, but in our communities, in our organizations, uh, especially when we're talking about something that can be very difficult, uh, is I'm a believer that uh, trauma-informed approaches are not just meant for our schools and other facilities. As an organization, you know, knowing that parents have been through trauma, knowing that the staff members have been through through trauma, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we've got to be mindful of that. We've got to be mindful that sometimes it becomes too much for someone and they need to step away. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, they've been in in the weeds themselves personally with their family and you know so i think that's great that you bring that up that the need to uh kind of have that that course and have different people involved and i love the way you framed uh the educational piece is is really being collaborative Mm -hmm. Uh, i'm a big believer in in collaboration and uh you know i think that it's very easy to fall into that us versus them idea and, you know, oftentimes I find that even people that I think might think far differently than I do, when you have a chance to have an actual conversation, they might surprise you and you yeah. might surprise them. Uh, so I think that's that's really important as well. I want to pause for a second just to yeah. see. We, we have a couple uh, people that have weighed in uh, just and I just want to recognize uh, we have Brittany here uh, from Texas. Uh, we have uh, Donna here from North Carolina uh, has a great uh, group. there called Black uh, Blank Canvas Awareness Art. Um, and works with uh, children um, with learning disabilities and dyslexia, ADHD. Uh, Floyd here um, from Oklahoma. Uh, So we've got a lot of people. Uh, Nicole. um, And Nicole is a former paraprofessional and uh, saw a lot of uh, restrained seclusion Mm -hmm. happening uh, and has been a tremendous uh, member of our community here as well. Uh, We've got, uh, let's see, uh, Lisa here uh, as well. Um, And uh, Lisa actually said, um, you know, 
that you know has liked what you've been talking about so far. Uh, we've also got Megan from uh, Illinois. So we've got a number of people joining us here from different areas. Uh, you know, people that are very thankful for you know the kind of work that you're doing. And again, you know, part of my hope in doing things like this is, you know, I mean, Diane, I think your work is inspiring. Uh, I think what you've been doing is is really inspiring. And and part of why we're doing this is, you know, we hope to inspire other people to, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, kind of take these steps and uh, kind of make changes. Uh, Jennifer Abinett, um, who has uh, been a part of our community for quite some time and uh, written many fantastic articles, articles for us. And seems to me I had a conversation with Jennifer at one point about forming groups like this. Um, I've got an educator here in Vermont uh, that's joining us and uh, somebody else in Pennsylvania. So we've got a lot of people around. We've talked about, you know, what is a SEPTA and the kinds of things that SEPTAs do. Um, walk me through a little bit about kind of your journey in terms of, you know, it seems overwhelming to a lot mm-hmm. of people, the thought of like starting an entire new organization. Um, so walk me through, like, how did that go from this idea of, you know, I want to do something to affect systemic change and I don't want to wait 15 years to developing this organization? So I would say the first most important thing is um, to to find a partner in crime, to find someone that you can trust and rely on to, to go through it with you and bounce ideas off of. And also to be aware of what each of your strengths, or maybe it'll be more more than two, um, and weaknesses are so you can complement each other. Um, always be forgiving. You know, sometimes you have a best friend, but they're not necessarily someone you can work with. And sometimes you can have a great work partner that you wouldn't necessarily hang out with at a football game, you know, whatever. I don't even know why I said sports. I don't watch sports, but whatever. Um, <laughs> everybody else understands that. Um, so anyway, so what you want to do is you want to find a partner in crime because it's so much less daunting to go into something with someone else at your back. It's really mm-hmm. scary to do something alone. Mm-hmm. I have to say, before we got this thing launched, I was terrified and I never thought it was going to work. And then once we got it launched and it was working, I was like, okay, it's working we're never going to get past the first year. And then we got past the first year and I was like, okay, we're past the first year. We're never going to get past when I leave the presidency and pass it on to somebody else. (laughs) And then we did, we had an amazing second president, you know? And so it was like, okay, this is happening. This is so exciting. I definitely went into this thinking, I want this to live beyond me. And I think that is another incredibly important thing to think about. If you want to make lasting change, you have to think about, I from the first day you start constantly recruiting and bringing other people into the fold. And it's not easy. You know, Mm -hmm. having an organization that's purely volunteer is much harder than having paid employees, much harder. Um, So you, you know, and I have learned a lot. I will, I will not say that I was the best volunteer recruiter the first, you know, the first year out of the gate or whatever. Um, I've had to learn a lot. And the other piece I would say is it's really important to learn to have fun and that your community of people enjoy what they're doing because mm-hmm. burnout is so possible, likely, if you don't remember to have fun. And what I found is, you know, some of my absolute closest friends have come through doing this work and this type of advocacy. And the people that I admire, like my role models are other parent advocates. Um, you know, it's, it's really, you learn so much from each other. So you have to support each other. You have to constantly be thinking about someone to replace you. You got to get systems in place that make it easier. So you're not constantly reinventing the wheel. Um, Those are all important things. The way we started, the other thing I would say is take your time, know your limits, know your bandwidth. 
it is, as my husband likes to always say to me, it is a marathon, not a sprint. So you have to think over time. Um, and even if you're impatient, if you burn out right away, you won't be able to see see the, the fruits of your labor, right? Mm -hmm. So um, you want to, and then you want to be real deliberate and you want to walk through, step through each piece of it. So the first thing you do is you investigate what's already out there because why reinvent the wheel if the wheel already mm -hmm. exists? So you might say, oh, I really want to start a SEPTA. And then you start digging around. You're like, oh, there is a SEPTA here. It's just not very active. Maybe I can join in with that one and help revitalize it. Or you may say, eh, in this school district, our PTAs are really not very active or they're not well liked or um, whatever. I don't like the structure. So I want to try something else. And so you go and you look and you say, well, what's my interest? So maybe there's... Um, your child has a specific disability that you're interested in. So you look at national and local chapters. So there's lots of little different ways. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes you just got to jump in, right? So you guys say, I want to do this thing. So the way we, we went about it is I met up with this other mom. We talked on the phone, we met in person and we said, okay, we can't do this by ourselves. What do we need to do? And we had a big special ed conference coming up and we said, well, we need a committee of people to work on this. So we advertised, we passed out flyers at this special ed conference, and then we advertised like in the local newspaper, and we advertised online. And we really used multiple um, social media, not multiple <laughs> social media platforms, but multiple platforms. Like we did local news online, and we did Facebook primarily. <laughs> and that was important because a lot of families and especially fam special ed families and especially if you're in a big geographic area you don't have the time to take away from your family to go to meetings right mm -hmm. so if you can meet online in a forum like this you're much more likely to get involvement from families and that's something that's wonderful that's come out of covid is that so much more accessible um and has really helped for example this year at our award ceremony we have an entire board i want to say there's 17 of us um we had never once all met in person until our awards ceremony to end the year. And we'd all been working together for a full But year. you probably felt like you had met in person. Because I, yeah, I, I keep did. having that feeling I, where there's people that I've been working with now for years that yeah. I haven't met in person. I meet them in person. It's like, I feel like I've known you. <laughs> I know. Well, you do. and But the thing that always surprises you is like how tall and short different people are. Because right, you're like, right, oh, right, I right. always thought you were like six feet tall. And they're like yeah. five foot. Yeah. Um, or vice versa. So anyway. Um yeah, so I would say do that. And then for us, one reason uh, we chose the SEPTA structure is because I knew I wanted to go in and I wanted to go in and, and come out of the gate running. Like we knew we wanted to make an impact and make it quickly. So PTA as an organization ha already has a structure, right? And it already has name recognition. So if we came in under the PTA umbrella, those two tasks would already be done for us simply because of the history of the organization. Mm -hmm. Nobody knew what a SEPTA was, but they knew what a PTA was. So at that point, PTA, SEPTAs, there were a few around the country. So we said, okay, there's a precedent for this. And we mm -hmm. relied heavily on the advice of Arlington SEPTA because they had done it. Arlington is a fraction of our size. So we knew some of the things that applied to them, we had to scale up or do differently. <laughs> Um, and you do have to think about the size of your what your organization is, your target audience and all that. Simultaneously with that, uh, we just formed 
um, there's lots of special ed support groups online. And what we did is we just made posts in some of those groups and we said, this is an exploratory committee for founding this organization. Anyone want to join us? Right. And, you know, you get like, you know, 50 people in a group and two people might show up and actually do work. But hey, that's right. two more people right. than you started with. So, sure, sure. Yeah. And, and we're lucky. I mean, you know, yeah. I, I think social media is a uh, blessing and a curse. It is. Uh, at times, I'd like to totally get off social media. But at the same time, <laughs> we wouldn't be having this conversation without social media. Absolutely. And, and we connect with people from all over the world over, right. over this, uh, which has just been fantastic. So it sounds like you were very smart and strategic in terms of trying to reach out to people. And, and you're, you're bringing up a great point, which is, no, not everybody that shows initial involvement might run the the whole distance of the marathon. Yeah. But each time you get somebody that will, you're making a difference. That's right. That's absolutely right. And I would say um, that we, so we, we advertise and we got for a core, I guess we would call it founding committee. Mm-hmm. And that was five of us. So we had five people, including me and my partner. So three, three or four additional, actually, maybe it was six of us met up with us in a library. Mm-hmm. We got to know each other. We talked about our vision. And then we made the commitment that we would, and at that time, everything was still in person. So we would meet up once a month in person and we would divide up tasks and we would each accomplish task, come back the next week, uh, next month rather, mm-hmm. and and move forward. So um, very early on, we came up with an email address and... Um, Uh, We started a real simple website. Our website is far more complex now. And um, we just made, found little ways to make ourselves official so that people could reach us and all of us would be together. Mm -hmm. Um, It's on, it's good to set up those systems and also understand that once you get that framework, you can grow and expand it. If we had waited to have a full blown, you know, perfect website before we ever launched, you know, you could be in the planning phases forever. As it was, we were in the planning phases for a year from the time we had that first meeting with the initial six people or whatever, we were in, it took us almost a year and a half (laughs) of planning, but (laughs) we really, it didn't have to take that long, but the way we were, we wanted our infrastructure set up before we launched because we wanted to hit the ground running. Mm-hmm. So we had already started having meetings with school board members. We'd started promoting the organization. We came up with a logo and colors and mm-hmm. things like that. And in this era of social media, you, you do have to think about that branding piece, which I absolutely right. hate talking about, but you have to think about it because right. um, when you're doing advocacy, that recognition, that fast recognition mm-hmm. is really important. Mm-hmm. Um So we started building those connections. And then once we had that core group of six, we worked for many, many months together. And then just before we launched, so after about a year, we pulled in some more people because we we needed a full roster of officers. (laughs) So we started recruiting and recruiting really actively. And we we really did. We found some amazing people. Um, The first that those first two years, I mean, they to be 100 percent, they were hard work. So starting anything from scratch is hard work. And they were amazing. They were amazing. I can't tell you the amount of appreciation and, and love and admiration I have for the people who we all work together to make this happen. And then over time, the people who have come in, you know, some people have dropped out. Some people have moved away. Some people have gone on to do other things. Uh, 
moving towards federal legislation while other people are staying local. So it changes and it evolves. So you have to be willing to change and evolve with it. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But definitely uh, having that core group of people and, and also very, very specifically, and I can't focus on this enough, you need to have somebody who's sort of, in my opinion, it helps to really have one person who's sort of taking that presidential role Mm -hmm. and also is the centralized person for task and communication. Mm -hmm. Because once you get like nine and 10 people kind of doing different things, somebody needs to kind of organize it and be a spokesperson. Um, And then um, be really clear on what the tasks are. So I Mm -hmm. do this Mm -hmm. when I run meetings and I'm no longer running SEPTA, but whenever I run meetings of any type, I always end the meeting with a task list and I'm very clear, like, okay, this is, these are my three tasks. These are your two tasks. These are your two tasks. Yeah, this is the yeah. date we come back and we discuss them yeah. because otherwise, especially in volunteer organizations, but it's any work really. That's right. That's right. That's right. Well, yeah. And what can happen is you can have a, um, a fountain of ideas that everybody in the organization has ideas, yes. but, but finding the implementers can be really difficult. And of course, you know, one, one strategy I've always believed in is when somebody has an idea, uh, the reward for them is, is helping to implement the idea. Oh, that's but, mine too. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But, but, but it can be difficult to do. It can be difficult yeah. to get people to, to, to work on things. I want to, I want to stop for a second and ask you a couple of questions. One is we've talked about the difference between a PTA and a SEPTA, mm-hmm. um, but there's other kinds of groups out there. And I don't know how familiar you are with these, but of course there are groups like um, CCACs or uh, LGACs or, you know, kind of the special education citizens advisory group or yes. Uh, yes. somebody else mentioned one, a, a CPAC. Uh, often these are groups that are formed um, related to legislative requirements, you know, mm-hmm. so there's a requirement to have some kind of group within um, the right. district. And I have some experience with these groups locally, not a lot, um, but I'm curious on your take. And, uh, you know, I, I have my own kind of experience that um, it wasn't what I was expecting, uh, meaning that there wasn't, you know, a lot of it was talking about budgets and talking about, uh, and, and don't get me wrong, not that those things aren't important, but um, what I didn't see is a lot of the education pieces that uh, I think are so critical and the advocacy pieces. So mm-hmm. um, can, can you talk a little bit? Do you have experience with those kinds of advisory? I do, actually. Um, and that yeah. is, we actually, when we started forming as a SEPTA, we got some pushback um, from, uh, we got a lot of pushback, actually, from certain <laughs> groups. Okay. And that one of the things we heard um, was, well, there's already a SEAC, which in, right, in right. Fairfax, we have to rename everything. So SEAC stands for Special Education Advocacy Committee. And okay. those are school board, those are, yes, committee, yes. Yep. Um, those are school board, uh, and as you said, guide required by law, right. that you have state SEACs, and then you have local SEACs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We call ours our, our, the Advisory Committee for Disabilities. And um the tricky piece there is that their association is so closely tied to the school system and the school board that a lot of people on those committees can't can't advocate as strongly as they would either perhaps want to or as the community would want them to. Mm-hmm. So they're very dependent on school board processes. They're they're 
members are often appointed by school board members. So if you want the school board to change something and you're not necessarily happy with them, they might not want you on there. Now, that's not necessarily true. I mean, you might have a, a whole mix yeah. on your school board yeah. and some people might and some people might not. Right. But it's not like everyone can join in. Right. Everyone doesn't get a say. It's who they appoint gets a say. Right. Right. And so those are typically fairly small. Like we can take as many volunteers as we want. Right. right. Um, and we can really speak through numbers. The other thing I found was sometimes those groups, they really vary from district to district and yeah. state to state right. in right. how right. they operate. Mm -hmm. So um, I like the freedom of having an independent organization. I like that we can push on things we choose to push on and we can do it immediately. So the other thing is those, those systems. So any organization, you know, you, many of you are probably familiar with Robert's rules, right? Parliamentary mm -hmm. procedure. Mm -hmm. PTAs go by that too, but it's right, more right. flexible. But okay. school board committees are very procedure bound. Yes. So, yes. Yes. you know, you may talk for two minutes on this subject. You may right. make a motion to amend a motion, you know, right. and that right. can really inhibit the work. Oh, but um, between you and I, it can make it a little boring. <laughs> you know, I mean, well, I mean, honestly, it, it, it's yeah, yeah. you know, it's very procedural, and it's uh, very procedural. You know, I mean, it's nice to be able to engage people and and to get people excited about things. And you know, again, th those those kinds of organizations sometimes um, aren't engaging. You know, yeah, they, especially for the general public. Right. You know, because you have to understand kind of what the procedure is. And then it, you can also be some CACs. It's very limited in what they're allowed to discuss. Right. Um, right. And they have to get things approved and things like that. So but having said that, they are a also can be a wonderful resource and a wonderful tool right. and a way to reach your school board. And the other thing about them is, is that because they are part of the school board, anything done in those meetings is part of the public record. And um, mm -hmm. if it needs to be, can be FOIA'd, you can get mm -hmm. the information publicly. So that can help you. That has helped us in our advocacy. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we actually have some of our board members are on our local um, advisory committee for students with disability, our local SEAC. And um, also we make public comment with the SEAC. We do joint advocacy with them. Mm -hmm. So, that joint advocacy piece is really important because often at those meetings too, you can, you've got school staff who are there, like your central office special education director might right, be there right, or your right, behavior right, person right, might be there or right, all of those right, people. Right. And so you can, if, by going to those meetings and working with those people, you can, again, get into the system, affect more right, change right, more quickly. Right, so right. it's all about relationship building. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm big into coalition building. So yeah, and, and you mentioned, and I think this is really true, those groups vary significantly from location to location. Uh, Nicole said, you know, um, that when, yeah. you know, uh, trying to raise issues that the uh, the CPAC wouldn't even respond to their correspondence. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, you know, again, you know, you, you do find sometimes there are limitations on those groups. Yeah. Uh, so I guess the, the advantage of going that route of the, the SEPTA is that you have more influence and control over the kinds of things you want to do. Yeah, well, at the same sure. time, you know, I'm, I'm sure, and you can, you can confirm this for me, but I'm sure that you've invited people to your meetings, uh, you know, special education directors or others to your meetings that hopefully have attended, um, you know, so you still have some of that same potential, correct? Yeah, we do. Um, the difference is at some point, so there are pluses and minuses to both, which is again, why I say coalition build work, work right. together towards the same thing, even through different organizations, <laughs> right? The to a certain extent, the school board members and the um, county staff have to listen, at least procedurally, they don't have right, to right, really right. listen, but they have to listen to a SEAC. 
they don't have to take our meetings. They don't have to show up to our meetings. Um, if we were a really um, antagonistic organization, they probably wouldn't. Right. 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 So they have the choice of whether or not to engage with an independent organization. Now, the benefit of of a PTA, though, is PTA has that built in relationship with schools. So even if on a local level, there's not a really strong bond. Nationally, mm -hmm. there is. And then you you can really use that to your advantage. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that, I guess that's what I would say about the difference. If you have a SEAC that's not um, responsive or serving the community, uh, it's probably stale. It's probably a little bit procedure bound. That's when I say starting up something like a SEPTA is a great idea. And then as you have a group of advocates within the community, you know, there's a lot of just gumption. You just call up a school board member and you say, hey, I'm in your district or I've started this organization or I'm part of a SEPTA and I would like to talk to you. Yeah, I, I'm sure that uh, yeah. if you were not already well known before you started your SEPTA, oh, the, yeah. the people around the district began to know you and, and a lot of the colleagues that you were working with. So, right. so let, let's shift gears for a second. Absolutely. And and, and I'm going to just show a couple of more comments here. Uh, Donna, who uh, I know from North Carolina, said that they just started uh, New Hanover Yay. County uh, SEPTA. So, uh, you know, Donna might be reaching out to me to say, hey, can you put me in touch with? Uh, with Absolutely. Iran? We love to share whatever we can. Absolutely. And, and I know Jennifer uh, is in the uh, process of forming a CPAC. Um, so, you know, lots of people uh, looking to do these kinds of things. But let's talk for a minute. Um, what are you really proud of? I mean, you know, thinking about the time mm. uh, since the SEPTA formed mm -hmm. and the kinds of things that you've engaged with in the SEPTA. Yeah. What are you proud of? What kinds of changes have you been able, and, and I say you, meaning through the SEPTA, you know, yeah. what kind of changes have you been able to influence? Honestly, what I think, like, I, I get a little giddy because I'm actually, I'm one of these people, I, I can be hard on myself, but when I actually look at what we've done, I am really, really proud of us collectively. Mm -hmm. um, we have managed to, I mean, we have such a, we have a, such a long list of things. We were listing them out the other day. I should have pulled them up so I could read them off, but uh, I'll start in chunks. So the first, what the first thing we needed to do coming out of the gate, I think we, we went after budgeting um, in our County and, and how we have had consistent issues here with, um, programs not being implemented with fidelity, <laughs> lots of variation regarding procedures, depending on what the school was, um, things like that. So we really started off with, first of all, educating parents of even just what the programs were available and what you have a right to ask for and right. what is covered in IDEA, what might not be covered in IDEA, uh, that kind of thing, as well as the soft skills of how do you work cooperatively with an IEP team or how do you organize your IEP and 504 binder? So we have, um, we did presentations on things like that. We also, um, so we brought in speakers and did a lot of that kind of just general community building and education building. Mm -hmm. And then we really came on strong with the school board about budget. And we did, we came in, you know, we had somebody testifying at every single school board meeting. And prior to us coming in, a school board member told me that they had never had a group in her knowledge and history of working in the county who had advocated for special education students. Ever. Hmm. So you've got people who are advocating for AAP and sports and, you know, foreign in, languages. In, in one of the largest districts in the country. 
Yes. And we knew that decoding dyslexia, Virginia. So one, we also have certain pockets of populations that have not been consistently well served. And I think you're going to see the same pockets sort of across the country. So our, our dyslexic students weren't getting programs with fidelity. Our autistic students were not getting, um, were being disproportionately disciplined, mm-hmm. subjected to restraint and seclusion. Mm-hmm. Our twice exceptional kids could not get academics and ed- special ed support. So we were, we were seeing these pockets of, of students that were really underserved and then pockets that were doing better. The biggest problem we've seen a lot was, was eligibility. Um, we had, so I, I'm talking all over the place. So in terms of big campaigns, what I would say we've done is we've, we've brought to light, we need to look critically at our special education budget and our staffing shortages and find out how to incentivize special education teachers to come to our county and how to support them and pay them well enough that they will want to stay in our county. The other thing we've had a lot of um, impact with, along with some other organizations partnering up, um, is impacting training for um, disability, various disabilities and Mm -hmm. things like that. So that's been really good, getting some more staff training in place as well as um, we have done a lot of dyslexia advocacy along with decoding dyslexia Virginia. And then about a year ago, we paired up with um, our local Fairfax NAACP. And with the three of us formed this partnership to address the literacy disparities in mm-hmm. our in our reading outcomes for students. Because of course, the groups that are most disproportionately impacted and have the biggest uh, disproportionality in results for reading are students with disabilities, students of color, low income, and (laughs) there you go. So we collectively worked and we have um, really shifted the way we have uh, an equitable access to literacy plan that has come out of that. Our K through three reading instruction has shifted. And this is not like, this is not just SEPTA. This is also pulling multiple levers at once, right? So creating coalitions with other organizations where you have common ground and then collectively pushing. Um, and so we've done that. Um, we were huge, huge hand in the um, change of our restraint and seclusion policy in Fairfax. Mm-hmm. So um, in 2019, as guy you're very familiar with um, it, was revealed through a lawsuit and through investigative journalism, through our local NPR station and Washington post that there were um, students being restrained and secluded in Fairfax County hundreds of times. And that those incidences were not being reported to the federal government. So to the federal government was getting reports of zero instances. And we knew hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of instances. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we did is um, sent out surveys to the special education community. So I wrote uh, a survey and then one of our staff members wrote a survey for staff. We're having a thunderstorm. (laughs) I don't know if you can hear that. (laughs) I didn't hear that. It might go out. That's why. And so we surveyed the community. We took the results of those surveys and we took them to our central office staff. And we said, look, we have had 200 people fill out this out. These are the stories. We sent them. um, I compiled those with the messaging, sent them to all of the school board members, sent them to the superintendent, sat down and said, you know, what can we do? Where are we going? Your organization was busy with that too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We helped parents. We, we got it. We did calls to action so we could get parents whose kids have been through this to testify at our school board publicly and on camera. 
And then we shared um, videos. We we partnered with you guys to help get um, Ross Green do a presentation and show his film for our organization. So we've really done a ton of advocacy on that. And then, so Fairfax County did. Our school board was receptive. We have They have updated our restraint and seclusion policy. They have banned all seclusion except in a couple buildings. And then by 2023, 2024, either January 23 or August 23, I've got to go back and look, mm -hmm. it will be banned in all settings mm -hmm. and severely limiting the use of restraint. Mm -hmm. The thing that to remember, and I, and I did see in one of the questions somewhere, it's great to make changes, but then they're not always implemented or not implemented right, well. Right, right. So that's, that is my big thing is the follow through, right? Yep, yep. So schools, especially like a county like ours, which is very flashy, and there's a lot of policy that's tried out in Fairfax and then trickles out to the rest of the state and mm -hmm. to other states. So we're one of those testing ground counties. If you say we're going to remove restraint and seclusion and then not train your staff right. and then not provide alternatives and not do any other kind of problem solving, what's going to happen? There's going to be referrals to police and kids yep. are going to get removed from the school building. This has been my concern since day one. Mm -hmm. And we are still closely monitoring a, a group of parents um, in Fairfax actually got together and, and sued the school district. Mm -hmm. And part of their settlement, which is still not public, um, has also been hugely impactful. I mean, I think those parents every day because mentally, um, I don't call them every day. They'd probably get annoyed. But I do Diane will change her number. <laughs> I'm um, but I don't know that it would have happened solely from community right. advocacy. I right. think it right. required that private lawsuit to make right. some of those changes. And then the public pressure uh, that our, our advocacy as a public organization could put on them. And then the other thing we did is we read through multiple iterations of the policy changes. And we went line by line. Oh, was it last Thanksgiving? Not the Thanksgiving that just passed, but the one before during COVID. And three of us on our board went through line by line and annotated and made comments and brought up questions. And we sent mm -hmm. all that documentation back to the county, back to the school board. And then it becomes a war of attrition. You just have to right. follow up and follow up and follow right. up. And it sounds right. tedious, but in less than a year, we, we, in conjunction with this other family, were able to get this policy change. <laughs> now the job is our continuous follow-up and are you training the staff? Right, right, right. right. And, and, and your concerns are, are very real about uh, changes, no matter what brings them about. If if you're not providing to teachers and educators, what are the, the things that we want you to do differently? What are the better approaches? How do we how do we eliminate the use of seclusion? And if you're not providing those kinds of things, you end up with with other things that happen, kind of unintended consequences. And like you said, referrals to law enforcement, mm -hmm. um, people trying to get around the law. And, and you know, um, mm -hmm. I would say Fairfax is in a, a vulnerable period right now where beginning to make the change is the hardest time. And, uh, you know, there will be things that are happening uh, that shouldn't be happening. Uh, you know, when we brought about change in our school district, um, you know, we found the same thing. In fact, even now, even though they've made a tremendous amount of progress, occasionally I get a call from a family that says, hey, this is happening. Uh, yeah. and, and then I reach out to the, the school district and say, hey, you know, I'm hearing about this. Um, it takes time. Um, you know, mm -hmm. unfortunately, um, you know, it's not so easy to just kind of put a new policy or, or procedure in place and, and have it happen overnight. Um, 
but the the need for accountability is really great in a time like this and yeah. organizations you know like yours are, are really important to making sure that um you know we are moving in the right direction and, and helping to support that kind of change yeah and the other thing i would encourage um viewers to understand often i think that um the public thinks of the school board and the school system as the same thing and they're not they work side by side but the school board is in charge of policy, right? right. They create the policy. Yep. Implementation of the policy and how that actually functions in the school is the school system's leadership. So the mm -hmm. school board mm -hmm. cannot control the staffing. They cannot right. control how right. that training is being disseminated, things like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know that people always understand that. And so often the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. Right, right, and right. so the other thing about school boards, and they function wildly differently in different counties mm -hmm, too, mm -hmm. but ours has been severely, I would say, underfunded, underpaid. Right. It is a more than full-time job. They did not get assistance until this year. They were all sharing a couple of assistants. Now they each have their own assistant, which is great. But for example, in one advocacy topic in our district, last year school board members were getting 500 emails a day wow wow yeah. so i mean it, it you've got to understand that i think that it's not always willfully not doing something or they're mm -hmm. pretending mm -hmm. they don't know when they do right they right. literally might not be and so if you right. don't hear back right away you've got to be persistent right but polite persistent right. and polite Right. So I, I really encourage you not to give up, but also not necessarily to presume bad intent. Get to know the person before yeah. you. Think. Yeah, and, and don't, <laughs> don't don't assume that members yeah. of your school board know all the things that you might want to share with them. Yeah, they uh, don't. Know, one, one of the things that I learned uh, in my own advocacy effort was that when I had an opportunity to sit down one on one with school board members, um, you know, they were getting all of their information. Uh, through the superintendent. And and that information was not always flowing. Uh, so oh, when I began yeah. talking to school board members about the use of restraint and seclusion, it was something many of them had, most of them had never heard of before. Um, well, yes. Most know. of, most of the school, uh, most of even the school system, we had mm -hmm. so many teachers say, I didn't know that happened here. I've never even heard mm -hmm. of that mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. they weren't special ed teachers and they weren't right. in a building right. where they saw right. it, you know, right. meanwhile, right. hundreds of kids are, are, being tortured. I mean, for lack of a better word. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so I want to uh, shift for a second. Um, yeah. and, and first of all, uh, if you're, you're watching live, uh, we have a number of questions and comments here I okay. want to get to, but I also want to encourage because, you know, you have to forgive me, Diane, it's very easy for me to start asking all the questions because, you know, these conversations just kind of spark things in, in my mind, but, uh, we've got a number of comments and questions here that I want to try to get to. Absolutely, uh, so I want to encourage people too. if you have a question, uh, please put it in the chat, but let me start with a couple of the things that are here now. Uh, and uh, I'm going to start back with, with uh, Jennifer, who said, uh, this is all so great. Uh, and yes, please, can I contact you yes. uh, as we're in the planning <laughs> phase? Uh, so I, I can help make that connection. Uh, but it's, it's great to see that. Um, I have a question here from Christy. Uh, really excited to hear that you were able to influence uh, training. Uh, how did you go about this? So how did you help influence a, a change in training? So these are really good questions. Um, again, I think, you know, it's pulling multiple levers at once. So our organization set up quarterly um, meetings with our uh, assistant superintendent of special education and her staff. And we've done them every year. Sometimes it's quarterly, sometimes it's three times a year. But then along with that, 
I would also go into quarterly meetings with, for example, decoding dyslexia, which is we've done a lot of advocacy with them. And um, so we get our faces in front and then we ask questions. So the, the first tool is to ask questions. Okay, we are noticing that there's a lot of inconsistency in how um, XYZ is being done. What is the training for that? And then they tell you and you say, are all teachers getting that training? Is the training being tracked? Is it annual? Or is it once when they enter the county and never again? How often is it updated? So by asking these questions, you first plant the seeds. And then sometimes they won't have an answer for you or they'll have an answer and you'll think, eh, that's not really enough. So then you go back and you do your research and you say, ah, look, evidence shows that, you know, People don't retain after X amount of time or whatever. And you take that and then you present that at your next meeting. And so it's a lot of like introducing ideas, following up. I have found very useful. Um, not everybody after me has done it the same way, but I have found it very useful to chart. So every time, and I actually learned this from another advocate friend of mine who is advocates regarding uh, with a 2E group. But anyway, it's you make a chart of every ask you've made of the county or every request um, that you've made. The, the date that you made it, and then what the response was. <laughs> and over time, you will have a, a chart of things, and you'll find that there's a lot of things that never get answered. Oh, we'll get back mm -hmm. to you. Oh, we'll, we'll follow up mm -hmm. on that. And then it's never followed up on. So then I, as I said, I don't have a lot of patience. So what I started doing was I started highlighting in red everything that had not yet been done. So it was very clear. I would walk into a meeting, and I'd make a copy for everyone in color and they could see bright there and bright red, you didn't follow up on this. And then that's a way of holding people accountable. So going back to that training piece, how did we affect that? So part of that is just consistently being around and giving feedback on policy changes. Part of that is um, also asking those hard questions and then speaking out about it publicly and speaking out, out about it to our school board while the staff is sitting there. And it's not to shame or humiliate anyone, but it's to put a public right. eye on something. So then right. it becomes a priority, right? right. Uh, because they know we're not going away. And mm -hmm. sadly, you know, sometimes the squeaky wheel is who gets the, sadly or not sadly, the squeaky wheel right. gets the grease, right? Right. right? So you shed light onto something. Then the other thing you can do is, um, like I said, team up with other organizations. So decoding dyslexia in our state, when I go to the literacy piece, and, and this is important. So dyslexia is a specific learning disability, as many of you are aware, but there's other reading learning disabilities and there's other disabilities that can impact how children acquire literacy knowledge. So one of the things that I have learned from our current vice president who has a, um, minimally verbal daughter who uses a communication device, right? A lot of our kids who use communication devices are never taught literacy. Mm -hmm. They're taught picture symbolization, right? So they're never learning the alphabet. They're never learning to spell, which at some point that is going to grossly affect their education and their functional ability in life. So it is now my meeting. Every time I go into a meeting where we talk about dyslexia and, and literacy, I say, and our kids who are in self-contained classrooms, our ID kids, our kids um, who are deaf, hard of hearing, our kids who use AAC devices, they also deserve to read. Mm -hmm. So our, our county is changing our basal literacy instruction for gen ed. And what I say is our special education instruction needs to also be a part of that. So I'm part of the Equitable Access to Literacy Steering Committee. 
And so I bring it up in every single meeting to the point that they're sick of hearing me, but I will tell you it has made changes. And it, and they will even say this has made changes to how we do this. That's great. That's great. So it's just people don't think about it. Yeah. Uh, let me get a couple more questions here. Uh, Rachel says, how were you able to send out a survey to parents whose kids use services? Uh, yeah. My district won't let me reach out to them. Yeah. So we often hear this, that there's, well, it's a privacy concern. We can't connect you to others. Um, right. How were you able to get around that? Social media. So what we did, we have a Facebook group and a Facebook page and we have a website. So what we did is we came up with a, a survey. I think we used Google Forms. Um, I'm, I'm sure we used Google Forms because mm -hmm. we've done multiple surveys. And what we do is we link it through our website and then uh, post it on social media. So our Facebook group currently has 1,500 members. So um, that's 1,500 eyeballs that are going to see right. that survey. Right. Right. You have to know that. And hopefully share it with others and, you know. Right. And right. we push it out. That's the other thing is we don't just do it on our group. Right. We push it out to every special education Facebook group we can find. Um, right. We do use Twitter and Instagram, but not as much. Right. Um, yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, a lot of our audience, I mean, I would say with the Alliance, our our, our biggest platform is, is Facebook. Uh, and while other platforms are, are still growing, uh, a lot of our audience, meaning people like us, are on Facebook. Because uh, we're the old up, fogies. That's right. That's right. I didn't say that. I, I, was, I was trying not to call myself old, but, you know. Yeah, no. <laughs> Thanks, Diane. Uh, okay. Sorry, guy. That's all good. All good. Uh, let's see. Uh, Jen asked, I wonder if you've had success in getting support from PTAs not identified as special education PTAs. Uh, it is so helpful if other parent family leaders care about disability issues uh, when they don't have a child uh, of their own. Uh, with a disability. Yes. So yes. And uh, one of the things we have is a liaison program. So we have what we call our SEPTA liaisons. They're not members of our board, but what they do, and then we have a liaison group that's specifically for the liaison group. And what we would love eventually, we haven't managed to do it yet, is get a liaison in every PTA that exists in Fairfax. We have almost 100 schools. Uh, I'm sorry, almost 200 schools. So we would ideally love to have um, a, a liaison in every single one of those. And what they do is they take what we're doing on the SEPTA level at the county level, and they take it back to their individual school and they can share the resources and those kind of things. Typically you make your most inroads by whoever's on our board or whoever's a member of our, of our SEPTA takes it back to their school and says, Hey, there's this group. Did you know about it? And if they have the bandwidth, they share the information or find a liaison to keep in contact with monitor our group, find out what's mm -hmm. going on and share it in the school PTA group. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes you'll find a staff member who's really into it and they've come to some of our events. So they'll kind of be a liaison. So yes, the other thing you can do is organize locally. So if, um, if you have a SEPTA and you want to be that liaison, then you can get a, a committee at your local PTA. What I will tell you is some PTAs don't want to have anything to do with the special ed programs. Um, and, and that's unfortunate. A PTA should be for everyone. Right, right. What I will say is if you find that you're getting pushback from your PTA, like we don't need a special ed committee. We don't need a special ed liaison. What you do then is you go to your district, um, your district level PTA and, or your state or national PTA, because state, national, and district are all invested in every <laughs> child. And they will go back to your local PTA and say, uh-uh, you need to support the special ed families and you need to have a special ed, you need to support a special ed committee or special ed mm -hmm, liaison mm -hmm. or whatever. That's great. So great that's idea. that's one way you do it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, and uh, I've got one more question here. Uh, Jennifer asks, uh, thoughts on UDL, uh, Universal Design uh -huh. uh, Does your district use this? 
So I, you know, I, I do have thoughts on universal design for learning and it's, uh, um, I think it's tricky. I think the philosophy is wonderful. I love it. Um, where I find it breaks down is the practical application in a classroom, particularly for very crowded classrooms. So we have, we have classrooms of, you know, 30 kids, 35 kids, right? One teacher. So the challenge becomes, first of all, as a philosophy, yes, every classroom should meet kids where they are and play to their strengths. And there should be multiple avenues for learning and different seating and where you run into issue is budgetary constraints, knowledge of the teacher, time of the, for the teacher, and all of those things. So one of the things I ask a lot of people who I know who are really into UDL is, okay, how do we make it work? And how do we do it effectively? So I would actually love to hear, um, Jennifer, from you, if you have ideas how, how to make that work, because I am not, I have taught classes and I've taught acting and dance, but I have never taught an academic class. And I don't know personally, other than reading about the abstract philosophy of it, which is great, how one would implement it effectively. Mm -hmm. that, that sounds like a topic for us to do uh, in a future another, uh, live event. So, so another we'll live event on, yeah. That. Yeah, yeah. Um, listen, we're, we're just about at time, but I want to give you an opportunity to share your screen and, yes. and maybe walk us through a little bit. So I'm going to go ahead and bring this up on the, the screen here. Okay. And uh, we've got your screen now, so everybody can okay. see your screen and you and I, uh, and you might just see your screen. Uh, but if you want to kind of walk us through a little bit about uh, your yeah. website and the kind of information that's there and uh, the kinds of things people might want to think about uh, if they're interested in starting a group like this. Sounds great. Okay, so this is our current website here um, for Fairfax County SEPTA. And you can sort of see like, this is our about us, this is our join us, our events. So we do lots of events. We try to do an event almost monthly. Um, this tells, uh, we have advocacy statements on restraint and seclusion, um, official position statements on various topics, our resolutions. Um, we have resources for our community. So again, thinking of those different, different buckets, these are just for parents to go to and use and, and seek help from. Some SEPTAs have a situation, I think Arlington is like this, where they have a more general outgoing Facebook page. And then if you pay your dues, then you get access to the private resources. We talked a lot about that model. It might help with some um, getting some membership, but I think I know I, and I think most of our founding members felt pretty strongly that what we really wanted was a community resource. And we mm -hmm. really wanted to empower parents and not everybody can afford to pay. Yeah, I was thinking the that. same thing. Yeah, I mean, there's um, definitely equity issues there. Yeah, and so yeah. we want everything to be available to everyone. Right. So we have it public. Um, then we have updates like news updates, um, public comments, uh, quarterly meeting wrap-ups. I told you about those wrap-ups. Um, we have a new superintendent coming in, so we're doing a meet and greet with her over the summer. Um, then here's our special ed liaisons. I told you all we have that liaison. So we have a toolkit that of materials they can use to share with their schools. And y'all, anyone who's interested in doing something or any other kind of organization, just play around with our website. We have a special, we have one for teachers. Uh, we have awards, our teacher grants, and we do mini grants. And so teachers can apply currently, I think it's twice a year. Sometimes we've done three times a year. And then of course you have to have a donate button. Um, but it, that gives you an idea of what, how ours is um, organized. Uh, 
if you are interested in finding out more about SEPTAs, you can always contact us. You can go to our, uh, let's see, about us. You can go to our contact us and you can find our different positions here on our board. I am currently the advocacy chair. Next year, I will be a co-advocacy chair with our current president who is time has ended. And so she's coming over to advocacy with me and our vice president will now be as of the end of this month will be our new president. But uh, if you go to advocacy, it'll get to me. If you want to talk to me or someone else, you can go to info at fairfaxcountysepta.org as well for a generic email. Um, the other thing I want to show you all really quickly is in order to set something like this up, yes, come ask us for help or another SEPTA for help, but also you can go to your state PTA and it'll show you PTA basics. One thing to be aware of is that they tend to focus on the school-based PTAs, not the county-based PTAs. So you may have to contact them directly. That's what they're there for. Contact them directly about how to set up a SEPTA in your state. If they're not sure, we went through a lot of people not being sure. So we also can go to national PTA. And there are so many different kinds of toolkits. There's mm -hmm. advocacy information. There's family resources, programming information, stuff mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. that. So play around with those. You can see um, what's going on. Uh, advocacy. Let's see. So we have we have an advocacy playlist of different testimonies we've done on different topics. Um, we've been in the news several times, so we've got some new stuff. And we also have a YouTube channel. So we have a bunch of stuff on our YouTube channel uh, of presentations. We record everything so you can go mm -hmm. on our YouTube channel and uh, watch all those for free. So, you know, it's really amazing. And, and, and what you've uh, managed to do things. Are you done with your screen? I'll take it off. If you yeah, like. you can take it okay. off. Um, what, what you've managed to do there in a few years is really incredible. And, uh, you know, I think that at any level that people can come together, join forces, uh, work to educating people, work to changing uh, the system and policies. I mean, that's really, really a great goal to have. Uh, so, you know, I certainly encourage people in their communities to, to you know, look this up and, and figure out what they can do. Uh, Want to thank you, uh, Diane, for spending time with us today, talking to us about kind of your journey and, and yeah. kind of what you got, you know, what got you heading down this direction. Uh, we had a lot of really positive uh, comments, and I think a couple of people that are going to be uh, reaching out to you to get some more information as well. Good. Um, but, you know, I appreciate all that you've been doing there in uh, in Virginia. And I know that you're a you're an advocate as well. I mean, aside right. from the work that you do. Um, so, you know, if we have viewers in Virginia, you know, that's that's always something to keep in mind <laughs> as well. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to or any final words you'd like to share with us? Um, no, you know, I'm always happy to to, to talk uh, to anyone who calls uh, or forward you to the right person if I'm not able to give you the help you need. I really encourage you to not be afraid. I think it mm -hmm. seems really scary, but it's amazing. We've gotten a really warm reception. And from the people who have not given us a warm reception in terms of the system, we've gotten so much warm feedback from parents mm -hmm. and actually staff. Staff won't always be public about it. They might call you privately, but it's that, that feels really good to know that we're helping each other mm -hmm. and it's definitely a group effort. So I, I encourage you to do it. And again, you don't start off with a website looking like this. You start right. off with a very right. simple page and you start right. off small and you grow over time. And I, right. that that's good to remember. 
And one of the things that really stuck with me is kind of finding your partner in crime. Yeah. Uh, you know, it makes me think about that old saying, and I don't remember how it goes, you might, but, you know, kind of one parent, you know, is viewed as crazy. You get more parents together and suddenly yeah. you're, you're forced to be reckoned with. And yes, you yes. create an organization like this. And that's what it is. It's an organization. Uh, you get opportunities to meet with a new superintendent. You know, yes. you, you don't get those as one or two parents. So, you know, by by building this, you've gotten yourself uh, a seat at tables that yeah. you might not otherwise have had a seat at. And Absolutely. once you get that, you have the ability to change things. So um, really inspirational. Uh, again, I want to thank you for, for coming thank on you. today. Uh, I'm going to let you go, but we have a, a couple of closing announcements. So thank you so much. Diane. Thank you and, so uh, much, Guy. And, you know, I you have my utmost respect for all the work you're doing too. So I, I just want you to know, I so appreciate and admire the work you're doing as well. So thank I you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yeah. All right. Well, we will be in touch soon and uh, thank, thank you. you so much. I've got a quick announcement here for everybody else. Uh, we do have uh, coming up again um, in two weeks, as always uh, another event and uh, our event in two weeks, our live event is going to be talking to Dr. Charles Bell. Uh, Dr. Bell is a professor at Illinois state university uh, and he's going to be uh, really kind of digging into uh, perceptions about school punishment and the impact on families. Uh, he's done some amazing research. In fact, was doing some research related to restraint and seclusion as well. So we're looking forward to having that coming up here for us in two weeks. And as always, I want to thank all of you for taking some time out of your day to join us. I uh, encourage you to share this with uh, other families or if you're an educator, other educators. I uh, hope this has been helpful. And thanks so much. We'll see you again soon.